You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out, it will be out. Oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see? So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. America's chickens are coming home. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Passes a three strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. And good evening. Thank you for being here at Our Common Ground. It's Saturday, September 19th, and we have had quite a week. Today we come into the program, into this broadcast, joining America as we mourn the loss of Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and we are going to be talking about her legacy, talking about her space and place as a notorious RBG, a 
and the icon that she created one step at a time. We're glad to have you all here. If you'd like to join us and listen on your smart device, at you can call and listen at 347-838-9852. Tonight at Our Common Ground, it is open mic night. We're looking at black political currency and the dilemma in the expenditures. And in the second hour, as I indicated, we will be talking about uh, the legacy of the small but big and giant Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She has been a presence in my life since I was a teenager. And I will be sharing some of that in the second hour with you. But tonight, what we want to do in this first hour, and we join you and ask you to give us a call. We want to be talking about black political currency and how we spend it, how we organize and establish our political priorities. In front of us are the crisis about Medicare, housing, climate crisis, student medical debt, judicial malfunction, government failure, police reform, defunding and overhauling, the overturn, of course, of Citizens United, reproductive and environmental justice. And my question is simply this tonight, and we hope that you will call in and join in this discussion. Do the Democrats have the heart to strike back over the next days before November 3rd? Do the Democrats have the heart to strike back? And I'm going to start um, this program with something I want to share with you to give us a, a foundation from which to talk, because you know that I reject the whole idea of political gossip. But this is a discussion for us to talk about using our political currency. Um, I'm afraid that if we don't make the priorities, I mean, there are some of those items that, that I listed where we can join with allies, but there are some of those items where there is no ally, and, and one of them is reparations. And you know reparations has been a part, uh, the struggle for reparations, the identification and education about reparations has been a great deal of my activism work uh, since around 1969. So, well, I would say 19, yeah, 1969, um, when I first met um, comrades around the issue, one uh, and, and most of them came out of the anti-apartheid movement, and and that's another thing that we can talk about at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two is the whole idea 
that we have a executive branch that is establishing an apartheid government. And by that I mean a caste system, a social system, where economic and social inequities are so distinct and that those who would purport to push nationalism as an ideology are pushing that under a white supremacy banner. Let me go through that again. In apartheid, the basic and fundamental principle is that a small population controls the ideology of 90% of that population. So we're talking about, here in this country, a government which is being led by two systems, the the system of capitalism and the system of white nationalism, and they both assume an an ideology of white supremacy. You know, but but, but we're going to talk about that. Um, I did not mention as we came in that there is something else happening in this country, uh, uh, um, a, a milestone which really reflects it continuously a consistent incompetence, negligence in the management of a pandemic, a pandemic which is a virus for which there is no cure. And that is that we hit the mark on today, September 19th, 2020, of more than 200,000 people who reside in the continental United States of America have died from the COVID-19 coronavirus. More than 200,000 people. And we can talk about that in the in the context of black political currency, because I think that that has to be one of the priorities, because there are two factors going on here. The highest percentage of the population who have died from the virus are African American and Latino and Hispanic people. The other is the highest disproportion in the in the 200,000 deaths that we know of uh, among children are black children. And then there is this other question in regard to this pandemic that scientists and the medical community are now beginning to to raise and that is whether or not American citizens are safe seeking medical help and assistance through their personal doctors, uh, medical practices, clinics, community clinics. And I wrote, I read a heartbreaking 
report earlier today about a 24-year-old first-year resident, which means she just graduated from medical school a couple of months ago, 23 years old, and she was infected in caring for patients with COVID-19, coronavirus, and today, yesterday, she died. So our number is 347-838-9852. We're taking calls throughout this discussion. But let me share with you, I think, a basis from which we need to have the discussion on priorities Um and maybe if I put on some glasses that work on the on this board, it would help. Um, but I, I I think that we need to put this in a context of a a timeline of history. Because I think most of us would would agree that we are nowhere near the dream of our ancestors, Malcolm, Ida B. Wells, Ella Baker, W.E.B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey. We are nowhere near their dreams for us as a people. And we'll talk about it on the other side. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. What is dangerous here is the turning away from, the turning away from anything any white American says. The reason for the political hesitation in spite of the Johnson landslide is the one that's been betrayed by American politicians for so long. And I am I'm a grown man, and perhaps I can be reasoned with. I certainly hope I can be. But I don't know, and neither does Martin Luther King, none of us know how to deal with those other people whom the white world has so long ignored who don't believe anything the white world says and don't entirely believe anything I or Martin say. And one can't blame them. You watch what has happened to them in less than 20 years. It seems to me that the city of New York, for example, this is my last point, is that Negroes in it for a very long time. If the city of New York were able, as it has indeed been able, in the last 15 years, to reconstruct itself, tear down buildings and raise great new ones, downtown and for money, and has done nothing whatever except build housing projects in the ghetto for the Negroes. And of course, the Negroes hate it. Presently, the property does indeed deteriorate because the children cannot bear it. They want to get out of the ghetto. If 
The American pretensions were based on more solid, a more honest assessment of life and of themselves. It would not mean for Negroes, when someone says urban renewal, that Negroes are simply going to be thrown out into the streets, which is what it does mean now. This is not an act of God. We're dealing with a society made and ruled by men. If the American Negro had not been present in America, I am convinced that the history of the American labor movement would be much more edifying than it is. It is a terrible thing for an entire people to surrender to the notion that one-ninth of its population is beneath them. And until that moment, until the moment comes, when we, the Americans, we, the American people, are able to accept the fact that I have to accept, for example, that my ancestors are both white and black, that on that continent we are trying to forge a new identity for which we need each other, and that I am not a ward of America. I am not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people who built the country. Until this moment, there is scarcely any hope for the American dream because the people who are denied participation in it by their very presence will wreck it. And if that happens, it's a very grave moment for the world. And now, back to Janice. And that was James Baldwin. And you know, if you have been with us regularly, that I always reach back uh, to a man who lived his life eyes wide open. James Baldwin, and I noticed that in the clip I had cut off a little bit, and he was saying, in the world, in the world, we are at that place where when we talk about these, uh, the, the, the notion of having a black political currency, because the Democrats know that they cannot win this thing without the black vote. When we look at the priorities, can we come to some consensus about where we are going to spin that currency, where we are going to press the metal on certain issues? Because there, there are just so many of them. Government failure. All Americans are facing government failure. Some people, they don't want to admit it. But at some point, it's going to be in their bathroom mirror. Police overhaul. Since George Floyd was murdered on the street in the face of a camera by a man's knee, sad more, police murders under law because they don't believe that we believe. 
So here we are. We're facing, and, 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 and this administration has said it very clear, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and funding for women and infant care is going to be decimated. At the same time, the same administration is going around touting, they're touting, and and their base, their believers, their cult is buying into it that we have a wonderful, wonderful economy. But people, let me explain something to you. The wonderful economy part only applies to people who are getting monthly dividends off of stock in the amounts of $15,000. So if, you, if you're getting dividends off your stock and, it's, and the dividends are $15,000, well, why don't we say $25,000 a month? then it's a great economy for you. Stock market is not an indicator. The stock market is not an indicator of the economy. People don't live off the stock market. What they live off of is an income with a reasonable rate. And you have people who are multimillionaires making 12 to 15 million dollars a year who are not paying any taxes. So you're carrying them. And the people, the, the cult, you know that cult? The cult is carrying them too, but they just don't understand that. And you are carrying the 1% who two years ago got the largest tax cut in the history of the company of the country. So that's where we are. So, you know, I know all of you are sitting out there saying, well, Dennis, exactly how did this come to be? What what will change it? Um, how are we living in an America which is still, which the race issues the economic issues and social issues of black people are the same as it was for Jimmy Baldwin. There's something wrong with that that whole algorithm. Was there? As a matter of fact, there, there was an algorithm in it, and the algorithm, the, the the parts of that algorithm, is oppression and capitalism neoliberalism, and now there's another part in the algorithm called neo-fascism. And that's why Jimmy Baldwin can talk about what's happening to us way back in 1982. That is why we have a Supreme Court that is paused to be completely conservative. And you know, conservative uh, over the over your lifetime and your children's lifetime. And I am thankful that it won't be my grandchildren's lifetime, unless we do something. 
unless we do something. I I have done more research on impeachment this week than I have done in my entire life, and I'm always looking at the issue of impeachment, um, how people both at the state and the federal level are impeached, elected officials. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to pay attention to how things happen. And um, Cori Bush, who was a one-time homeless woman who led protests um, following um, the shooting of um, a black 18-year-old in Ferguson, a month ago, ousted longtime Representative William Lacey Clay in Missouri's Democratic primary, ending a political dynasty that has spanned more than a half century. Uh, Bill Clay's father and his grandfather held that seat. And I think uh, you, if you were with us uh, with... Uh, Dr. James Taylor, a couple of um, weeks back, not a couple, but maybe three or four weeks, five or six weeks back, whatever, uh, we talked about this because there's a, a lesson to be learned that I think people are not learning. There was a lesson in what Corey Bush did in the 1st Congressional District of Missouri, ousting a black political dynasty, and nobody's paying attention. Nobody's paying attention. And I, I, I want to, there's a lesson in who she is and what she represents. And when I say no one is paying attention, I'm talking about the rest of the black political uh, elite class, black political class, the black caucus, the people who pass their messages on, their messaging. They're not learning anything from that. And I think we're going to see a, a, a lot more of that. Um, we're, we are... It's ironic, and I had a great deal of respect and have a great deal of honor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was born in 1933, and there has not been too many women in her lifetime that have met the challenge that she began to give in 1954 when she graduated, when she, uh, 1959, when she graduated from Cornell Law School. We're going to take a call from 646, 646, you're on the air. Thank you for calling. Hey, BJ, listen, listen. You know I love you. You know I've got to say something to you. One moment. What the hell are you doing? I like to know, I like to know, BJ, Janice, 
Terry Garzer, did you be so in love with Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Let's let's just talk about one thing in regards to her. Well, just we're not talking thing. about her right now. That's in the second hour. You want to oh, hold and, and, and talk oh, about her in the second hour? Well, we can deal with, with whatever you're talking about right now. But I I heard you mention that's the subject of the that's the subject of the second hour. All right, in the first hour you're talking about right now. In the first hour, I'm talking about black political currency and how we expended. Okay, so, so we can we can sum we can sum that up is you just want to hear your talk. People, I don't understand what you what what what. Did you just what I was going to say to you was what I was going to say to you was we could sum that up very quick. We allow black politicians and black so-called upper echelon Negroes to get away with leading us to the path of nowhere, and we hold nobody accountable for their behavior when they get into political office to do anything for us on a collective as a people. That's why you okay, have I'm us gonna... in the position that we're in. Okay. Okay. But, but, but listen, But listen, I would like for you to put me on hold because I have something to say about Beta Ginsburg that needs to be said because the same people that you're talking about that are crying and in an uproar about this woman passing should look at her record on the Supreme Court in dealing with African people. One clerk and all of the years okay, she is okay, on the Okay, Jay, Jay, next I'll put you on mute. You can call and I'll bring you back on and you can talk about that in the second hour. Thank you. But take a look at the take take a listen uh, to Take a listen to how a to how um, Corey Bush's victory um, came about um, on on and 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 it had it did not have to do with the DNC or the Democratic Party galvanizing her because Clay was a part of the DNC establishment. He was put there. But she had the backing of political action committees, and she campaigned for Bernie Sanders and essentially guaranteed her a seat because she was very clear about what she was coming for, why she was running. Take a listen to this.
um, first would be COVID-19 relief, you know, definitely supporting um, what's already been, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what people have already been talking about, like the $2,000 um, universal basic income, you know, that would be retroactive to last and then to last one full year, um, people 16 years and up. Uh, also, um, uh, you know, making sure there's a, a sure uh, uh, moratorium on evictions and canceling shutoffs. Uh, and then that $2,000 a month, even though that the, every, um, would get, everyone would receive that, it wouldn't stop the social programs. It wouldn't take money away from that. I'm talking about putting more uh, money into social programs because people are going to have to get on their feet. People are still being laid off and furloughed. Um, another thing is reinvesting in public education, but starting it from a place of, um, you, you know, we have schools that are trying to figure it out. Am I, are we in school? Are we a hybrid? Are we doing are we just online? Uh, and then how do we ha how are our students supposed to adjust? So many schools when COVID-19 hit did not have the resources to be able to even give all their students Chromebooks. You mm -hmm. know, so we have to look at the dynamics um, in um, these different school districts. That you is part of the um, part of the funding has to go towards the oversight. It has to go to the management. So you build you build that and you build that with um, you know. Uh, accountable groups, making sure that they are able to um, to have that actual oversight in those communities, over those groups, over those boards or whatever it is, to make sure that the, that the money is going directly to the people. I'll say this, I am someone who knows very well what it's like to have money pouring in uh, to something and then only the people that people think should be receiving the money get the money and the people that are actually, actually in need or actually doing the work aren't getting the money. So that's something that I will be focused on. It's just going to depend on what, um, what exactly it is, but I just say that you have to have over, you have to put money into over it was so yesterday this was happening to me it was last year i remember having my own shut off and this is what happened you know i uh, crystal i can still right now remember every single bit of pain that i've gone through struggling you know paycheck to paycheck i remember um what it felt like when my face hit the ground when i was being assaulted by police officers i remember um, you know, how I felt after that, um, the sexual assault that I went through and I couldn't get justice. I remember all of those things. And so that fuels me and that pushes me into doing more. And I'm loud and I don't mind being vulnerable. I will be vulnerable for my community to make sure that nobody else goes through the things that I've gone through. And so if that means people, you know, say what they want to say about me, but I will deliver for my people. That's why they're sending. So, uh, one thing about it, I did not, uh, just as Democrats did not come out and seek me to, to go up against the CBC member, uh, my community nominated me to the Justice Democrats, and then they chose me as their very first candidate. Uh, you know, it, the reason why I was running against Congressman Clay is because our community, ha our community we've, we have so many needs. We are struggling so much. So many things that shouldn't be happening in our community, you know, are still happening. It's been happening for so long. And, you know, I don't care what your color is. I don't care what, if you identify, you know, gender-wise, this way or that way, who you love. I don't care any of, about any of that. 
Are you bringing home change to our communities? Are our people benefiting for your, from your relationships and the work that you've been doing? And if not, you need, we need to switch that out because if people are benefiting, if I'm able to make change in my community and I'm doing it for free just because I put my feet to the ground, because I'm using my mouth and my hands to touch each and every person as best I can, then why can't somebody being paid to do it do the job? And after 20 years, you mean to tell me we can't do any better? So that's the message. The, the message is change can happen if we have people in those seats that want to see change. You know, we have to be willing to push it. We have to be willing to fight for it and advocate, you know, time out for trying to be popular and be seen and, you know, all of that. No, do the work. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And uh, there is nothing like hearing a new person from our community who understands why we send her and understands and is very clear about what she's going to do. And Jay mentioned it in his first part of his conversation this evening that it is very clear that we are not extracting accountability. So let's go back to the list of uh, of things. Let's let's talk about reproductive and environmental justice. Something that activists have been talking about, activists have been organizing around, and it, it just doesn't seem to click in our system of accountability and oversight of the people who we spend our political currency on. I'll give you an example. And you are welcome to call us at 347-838-9852 if you are interested in how we are going to stack up our priorities and then have a system of accountability. I mean, in Missouri, it caught them. I mean, Bill Lacey did not believe that this young woman, an activist, that her activism started in Ferguson when Michael Brown was murdered by a white police. And he did not believe that she could raise the political currency in his district to knock him out. Well, she did. And she knocked him out because she understood she was speaking the language, pain, and the frustration of the people who held the currency in their hand. And I'm going to 
Give this number again. 347-838-9852 is our call-in number. Because until we get this piece of it together, that, and and as uh, El Michelle is saying in our chat room, there is an attack on critical race theory. Until we get this piece together, no matter what else happens, no matter what else happens, it's not going to matter. Because people need to be put on, in check. I'll give you another example. Let's look at the landscape. Who is talking about today? Who is talking about the who is not campaigning and when I say talking about it, raising the issues, offering solutions, organizing educating who, what black politician, elected official, either at the federal level or at the state level, are raising the issue about what this administration plans to do to Medicare, health uh, health insurance for all, uh, uh, Social Security cuts. And, I mean, it, it has already happened. I don't know if you know it, but in the federal federal uh, employment, in the federal workforce, they are no longer taking out Social Security taxes for federal employees. It started two weeks ago. So every time you hear something that a, a, a Trump official or Donald Trump or one of his minions talk about, Believe that it's happening somewhere. Believe that it is happening somewhere. Before you got to Louis DeJoy on the U.S. Postal Service corruption, somebody in, I'm trying to think of the state, it was a state, some of the, 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 the Postal Service Union was talking about it. Donald Trump was talking about, he started by talking about the corruption and the fraud that goes on in mail-in voting. And then two weeks later, we find out about what his minion, Louis DeJoy, had already done across the country to the U.S. Postal Service process. When you hear them talking about it, it is already happening. So who are the people who you voted for, who you support politically, are talking about Medicare cuts, Social Security cuts, Medicaid cuts, WIC cuts, cuts in affordable housing. And he is, last week he was talking about this new American prosperity education bullshit. 
they've already made the cuts in the Department of Education on public school education. I'm just saying. So who did that you voted for, who is talking about it and bringing solutions to it? Because in the second hour, I'm going to be talking about some solutions about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. So <clears throat> how are we going to extract accountability on climate crisis? Let's just look at climate, climate crisis for a minute. Who did you vote for? All these people that sit in in the in the in the U.S. House, uh, Clyburn is Clyburn talking about climate crisis? He might mention it, but mentioning is not the same as being dedicated and committed to resisting all of the regulatory uh, changes and um and providing solutions to what we see in terms of the number of hurricanes going up the gulf coast uh, gulf coast the gulf of mexico the severity of hurricanes that hit the united states including puerto rico over the last 3 years and the quantity of tropical depressions, tropical storms, and hurricanes over the last 10 years. The, The fires raging from Wyoming into North and South Dakota, from Washington State down the West Coast into Nevada, Arizona, and Texas. You know how many black people live in that path? You know how many black people live in the path of a hurricane going up the Gulf of Mexico? You're talking about Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, and Texas. That is the sphere That is a sphere of accountability. Rick Scott today, running his mouth, senator from Florida, they're about to vote on the funding for building a new power grid in Puerto Rico. Who is the largest shareholder of the company that they are going to give the money to. Rick Scott of Florida, the senator. Who's supporting it? Mario Rubio. Rubio, Marco Rubio, uh, the other senator from Florida. Why? Because his his family's company will get a piece of it. Today, the president of the United States, um, last week, he was blocking TikTok, a Chinese company. 
now his one of his biggest political donors, Walmart and Oracle, which is owned by Walmart, going into partnership so that TikTok can continue to broadcast in America. That is the sphere of accountability. Okay, so maybe you're not interested in those things. Let's talk about police brutality and police reform. How much of a priority is that for you? 347-838-9852. And where is the accountability for it? We are talking about it's let, let, let me kind of give you a sense of where I'm coming from on this. Let's assume that you are a consumer. Okay, we're going to deal with you as though you're a consumer. And you didn't, you haven't had a job for two months, but you get a job and you get your first paycheck. There are many things that you have used up or you didn't have and had to go go without um, the 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 second toilet in the house has been broken. You need to get that fixed. Uh, now you want to bring somebody in um, that's going to fix the, the the window broken windows. So you've got a new paycheck, fifteen hundred dollars. We're talking about the same thing in terms of political currency. How are you going to spend it? And who do you spend it with? Now, most of the people who have called into this show over months and months and months of discussions about this have indicated that they want to get rid of Donald Trump. So I'm just assuming, you know, and I I think I'm right on this. I'm just assuming that you're talking about voting for for um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ticket. So when you give them your political currency, what are your priorities? Joe Biden be- behaves as though acts like that he doesn't understand what we're talking about when we're talking about defunding the police department. Of course, we're not talking about starving them. We're talking about transforming them. Because if it were me, if I were the mayor of a city and the city council had said to me that I could reform the police department in the way that made sense and that would work, I'd fire the police chief, all the deputies, um, and all the officers. I would dispose of, I would I would just shut down the department. I would just shut it down and start anew. And there would be new parameters for which I would measure how to put it back in order. And one of them would be bringing in an independent Recruitment, they call it talent now, talent management um, operation to review all new applications and every officer would have to reapply. 
I would not enjoin with a union because you know if they, you know I was in labor relations for a long time, and I would always say that the, every company gets the union it deserves, and I would have a community and and law enforcement board internally, externally, I'm sorry, internally, that will deal, would deal with all of the matters of contract having to do with police officers. And, you know, and I might wake up one morning as a, as a, as a, as a, as a mayor and say, oh, no, we're not going to have any contracts. You're going to be just like everybody else. You come to work, you do your job the way it is prescribed, described, and if you fuck up, you get fired. If you do something illegally, you get charged with violation of law. So that's kind of how I I would do that. But... There has been no real in-depth conversation between you and me with our political currency and the people who we want to spend it with. You know, you most of the time you have a choice, but you I, I don't know what happened. Um, you know, you have your, your money and, and you call three or four contractors to fix the windows, and you decide – about the quality that they offer, you decide about the time frame, you decide about the materials that they use, you can do that. And that's the same thing that you have to do in a primary. But somehow it got all screwed up in the primary, and we end up with what we've got. So we have to do that same negotiation with what we've got. And and in, you hear me on this on this broadcast talking a lot about political infrastructure. And the political infrastructure would be the place from which the mechanisms from which and the tools that you would have to negotiate with the contract. And who are the contractors? It's not just Joe Biden. It's not just Kamala Harris. It's the Democratic National Committee, and it's the Democratic National Committee committees. And the thing is that you would think, given the black, the value of the black political currency, because these people are admitting that they cannot win without you, you would think that we have them over a barrel. In one way, we, we do for a little bit, but we we don't have the political infrastructure in which to establish these priorities that I'm talking about because we only have so much currency. I mean, there is no – I mean, there are consumers out there. There are people who can go out and and, and spend – $15,000 on on an end table for their kitchen or whatever or um 15 $50,000 $50, for an uh um a patio kitchen but most of us don't have that kind of currency 
But the currency that we do have, it has a value. And we've got so many. It's almost like talk radio. <laughs> I've been doing this since 1985. And it never amazes me. I don't care. Everybody thinks they can do it. So, you know, you interview somebody and they say, wow, that was fun being on with Janice Graham. I think I'm going to start my own radio show. Well, it's not so easy as all of that. Well, maybe it is, but um, here we have what we have here, uh, in case you haven't noticed, and you can call me and comment on it, 347-838-9852. We have a continuum. Because I've been beating the drums about a number of things. One of them is the debt. The debt that this country owes to the descendants, American shadow slavery. That wasn't invented four years ago. We've been talking about that. It is a debt. The other in this continuum has been the notion that the leaders of political power are not the people who you elect. It is the people who got them there. And somehow these people have not learned the lesson that you dance with the one who brung you. (laughs) You know know that thing? You dance with the one who brung you. Um, My husband used to have a real problem with that. Um, When we were dating, he would say, I don't understand it. We go to the party. I don't see you but once or twice. I never see you while the music is playing. That's because I was dancing, but I wasn't dancing with the one who brung me because he couldn't dance. (laughs) I was dancing with the people who could dance. (laughs) Uh, We've had that conversation all the time. But they're... The lessons of dancing with the ones who brung you. I'll give you another example about that. Um, I was 13 years old when I attended the March on Washington uh, to listen to um, Mahalia Jackson, not Mahalia Jackson, Miriam uh, Anderson. And um, my mother, mother, she didn't hear any speech. Uh, just to hear her singing in uh, person was was what was her thing. My dad, of course, was there to hear um, uh, a number of speeches. Um, but at the March on Washington, there was a lot of concern about the speech that John our John Robert Lewis was going to make. There were actually meetings about it. And one of the ways in which, one of the things that happened in those meetings is that the organizers understood that they had to dance with the ones who brung you. 
And they also had to make sure that everybody left the dance with the music running in their brain. That's a that's a that's a lot of strategic energy going on there. And I I, I simply think that we have forgotten some very basic lessons. And and I'm very sad that we've got what people say is the infa, the political infrastructure over here and the political infrastructure over here and then that political infra, infrastructure merges with this political infrastructure and when we end up we don't have a voice. We have you know, it's like the go back to my my um description of the new of the the first paycheck, the fifteen hundred dollars. Um <clears throat> you borrowed ten dollars from this person and twenty dollars from that person, hundred dollars from that person, a hundred and fifty dollars from that person, and you start paying them back and that fifteen hundred dollars doesn't go very far. We're going to move off. I, I I am never going to leave this continuum. I don't give a damn what happens in the news and the political gossip, but there is a continuum. And I'm hoping, I really am hoping that there are some people out there who have been listening to me who've been talking to me, who've been my comrades, my comrades and my allies over nearly 50 years of activism. You know, 50 years is a long time. Uh, I woke up this morning and I was thinking to myself, um, 50 years doing this. I was thinking, actually, I was thinking about this broadcast and how I was going to frame the subject matter and and talk about the priorities, because the priorities are are very important. Um, And last night I spent the evening with uh, India Declared, the Real Raw and Right Now broadcast, and Wednesday with Alpha on the Alpha Show, all at 10 o'clock here at Blog Talk Radio, and I considered them my comrades. And so this morning when I woke up, I was thinking about how do I frame this? Because never on this program since I began in 1985, and I had some wonderful, wonderful mentors. Um, uh, I was looking at the name of one of them today, uh, Arlene Lane, who was at WZON. No, not WVON, uh, WOL in Washington, D.C., and Bob Law. Those are the people who I reached out to to learn how to broadcast community vision. Because that's what I do. That's why you don't see, I mean, I'm, I don't understand it. It's not like I say, oh, white people can't come. White people do come, but they listen. And, and, and I, I do want white people um, to feel that they can listen to this broadcast. 
because we talk race with courage, not race to insult people. Um, If you are white and you listen to this broadcast, you know how to insult yourself, informed white people. We're going to take a break because it's the top of the hour. Uh, at our common ground, you want to write it down. It's three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two, and I am simply the usher of information. What we want is to talk, to speak truth to power, but more importantly, to ourselves. We cannot think that we're in good shape going into November third as a people. Uh, we may have a change in the guard, and I'm even kind of, and I know Alpha is about to call me, I'm even kind of shaking on that one. But um, we have got to be realistic uh, about where we are. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Text a friend. Call a friend. Uh, post on Facebook and Twitter that we're here and we're about to talk about. Jay, listen real careful. Claiming the legacy and the seat of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't go around loving people. They don't know. A young slave boy stood one day before the greatest ruler of his day. And God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, Lord, only I've got a stick, that's all. He said, well, let me use what's in your hand. And God used that slave boy with a stick in his hand to divide the Red Seas, march through a wilderness, bring water out of rocks, manna from heaven, and bring his people to freedom land. What's in your hand? George Washington Carver, who was so frail that he was traded for a broken-down horse as a slave boy. And George Washington Carver, sitting in the science laboratory at Tuskegee, told me, he said, Dr. Powell, he said, I just go out on the fields each morning at 5 o'clock, and I let God guide me. And I bring back these little things and work them over my laboratory, and that man did more to revolutionize the agricultural science of peanuts and of cotton and sweet potato than any other human being in the field of agricultural science. What's in your hand? Just let God use you, that's all. What's in your hand? I've got a string in my hand, that's all, and I'm flying a kite. And way up in the heavens, lightning strikes it. And I, Benjamin Franklin, discover for the first time the possibilities of electricity with a string in my hand. What's in your hand? Little hunchback sitting in a Roman jail. I haven't got anything in my hand but an old quill pen, but God says, write what I tell you to write. Paul Rope, I have run my race with patience. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And fought this later on. What's in your hand, little boy? All I've got is a slingshot. And the enemies of my people are great and big and more numerous than we are. Well, little David, go down to the brook. 
and pick out a few stones and come on back and close your eyes if you want to and pull back that slingshot and let it go. David killed the biggest enemy, the leader of the giants, against his people, and his people became free, just letting God guide a stone in his hand. And a few years passed, and David is a king, and God says, what's in your hand? He said, I've got a harp in my hand. He said, well, David, play on your harp. And he played, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Take me to lie down in green pastures. Leave me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk to the valley in the shadow of death, I'll bear no evil. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Man hanging on a cross. I've got two nails in my hand. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdrawest thyself from me, whither shall I go? And that man with two nails in his hand split history in half, B.C. and A.D., and what's in your hand tonight, people of Cambridge? You've got God in your hand, and he'll let you win, because he's on your side and one with God, always in the majority. So walk with him, and talk with him, and work with him, and stick together, and fight together. And with God's hand in your hand, the victory will be accomplished here sooner than you dreamed, sooner than you hoped, sooner than you prayed for, sooner than you imagine. Good night and God bless you. Adam Clayton Powell, we have wonderful, wonderful orators in our community. What is in your hand? Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Every 10 years, the census comes along and it seems like everyone I know always asks the same two questions. What is the census and why does it even matter? Let me give it to you straight. The census counts every single person living in America. An accurate count of our community tells us where there are more people. And where there are more people, there are more needs. Our participation could impact how public funding flows to our schools, health clinics, senior care, job training, and housing. It even determines our congressional representation. I don't know about you, but it sure sounds like the census matters to me. This year, take a little time for the 2020 census. You can complete it online, by phone, or by mail, and make sure you count everybody you live with. Your mama, daddy, sweetheart, babies, roommates, everyone. This chance only comes every 10 years, so let's step up and be counted. Shape your future. Start here. Learn more at 2020census.gov. Paid for by U.S. Census Bureau. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy, the inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line. You can go down the line. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. <laughs>
back, and your Wednesdays just got served. The Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network, premiering August 26th. Alpha's back and ready for the struggle. It's on. The Alpha Show, August 26th. Your Wednesdays, Alpha serving hot grips with politics. Wednesday, 10 p.m. The Alpha Show, TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. Hosting the best of pushback talk radio. And where's that honey? Where's my God and where's my money? Unreal values, a crass distortion. Unwed mothers need abortion. Kind of brings to my old young king's head. He did it now. Trying to make it real compared to what... You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. Now back to Janet. And we thank you for being here with us tonight, this Saturday night on uh, Our Common Ground. This is a sanctuary to speak truth to power. And ourselves, we do not apologize that that truth comes through the lenses of black people in this America. Thank you for being with us in our chat room, and there are plenty of seats there if you'd like to join in this second page at Our Common Ground. Blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG is where you will find Al Michelle, Hard Worker, Geo Moses, Alpho, uh, India Declare, and Vanetta Cares Davis, uh, all sitting in the first row. Our number is 347-838-9852, and in this second page, we are going to offer to you for discussion claiming the legacy and the seat of the Supreme Court Justice, Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't know how many of you know that uh, she was an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court from 1993 until her death on yesterday. She was nominated by President Bill Clinton and was generally viewed as belonging to the liberal wing, quote, unquote, of the court. She was the second woman to serve on the Supreme Court after Sandra Day O'Connor and doing her tenure, Ginsburg wrote notable majority opinions, including United States versus Virginia, the Olmstead versus LC in 1999, which was a uh, landmark decision on federal housing 
in this country. And um, in regard to environmental justice, uh, the Friends of the Earth, Inc. versus Laid Law Environmental Services in 2000. Um, She was born and grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Her older sister died when she was a baby, and her mother died shortly after she graduated from high school. She earned her bachelor's degree at Cornell University, uh, becoming a mother before starting law school at Harvard Law School, where she was one of nine women in her class of 500. She transferred to Columbia Law School, where she graduated first in her class, and after law school, she entered the legal academia. She was a professor at Rutgers Law School and Columbia Law School, teaching civil procedure, and one of only five women in that field. She spent much of her legal career as an advocate for gender equality and women's rights. Uh, She advocated as a volunteer attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union, excuse me, Civil Liberties Union, and was a member of the board of directors there in the 1990s. And in 1980, President Jimmy Carter appointed her to the U.S. Court of, of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, where she served until her appointment. Uh, by Bill Clinton, Um, and she received attention in um, many, many publications and in the public for her fiery liberal dissents. She has, in the last few years, been playfully and notably dubbed the notorious RBG and she was, for that, uh, entered into the Rock and, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll take your calls at 347-838-9852. Just after I put together a little clip of her talking about herself with Gwen Ivan, Eiffel, uh, who I admire very much. Uh, prior to her death, who I also knew and trusted as a journalist. And um, we think that it would be interesting to hear her talk about herself.
what do young people, older people ask you? One question is, did you always want to be a judge? Or more exorbitantly, did you always want to be a Supreme Court Justice? I try to uh, explain the way things were in the not-so-good old days. So when I graduated from law school in 1959, there was not a single woman on any federal bench. It would not be a realistic ambition for a woman to want to become a federal judge. It was not realistic until Jimmy Carter became our president. He looked around at the federal judiciary and said, that's nice, but they all look like me. So I am determined to appoint members of minority groups and women in numbers to the federal bench so we will use the talent of all of the people of the United States and not just some of them. I'm not sure everyone knows how extensive your interest in women's issues, women's rights, were long before you got to the court. Is that something which this can also begin to illuminate? Yes. The book includes one of my many speeches about why we need an equal rights amendment. Do you feel that, as a liberal, that conservative women, men, can identify with you as well? The label liberal or conservative, any, every time I, I hear that, I think of the great Gilbert and Sullivan song from Ireland. It goes, every gal and every boy that's born alive is either a little liberal or else a little conservative. What do those labels mean? It depends on whose ox is being gored. You got into a little trouble for making a comment about Donald Trump this year. Um, do you still regret it? I said what I had to say about that, and I, I will not address that subject again. That's fair. I wish that the spirit that prevailed in 1993, when I was nominated, I wish that that could be restored. In 1993, the vote on me was 96 to 3. I was nominated on June 14th. I was confirmed on August 3rd. You know, some people would say it's about politics, but I wonder if it's not also about your presence, your very existence on the court, and the way that you write and the way that you sometimes take on your colleagues. I would like to think so, but I certainly was given a, a, a tremendous boost into the public arena by the notorious RBG. When I was asked about it, I said, well, it's exactly right, because Notorious B.I.G. and I had something in common. You did? What? We were both born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs>
You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And it was very clear that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was committed as a skilled lawyer to the issues of women in this country. Uh, She was a rare Supreme Court justice whose most significant work was done before she joined the court. She changed the course of American law, not as a Supreme Court justice, but as a lawyer. The founder and general counsel of the ACLU's Women's Right Project. She began the project in 1972. The same year she joined the faculty of Columbia Law School as a professor. And we'll take your calls. The nation mourns uh, this loss, but we also are fearful uh, in this time about what will and how we will claim the seat that her her passing vacates. Um, one of the things that she was masterful at doing is using dissent to create new opportunities for legal challenge. She was often um, compared to Thurgood Marshall, the great Supreme Court Justice, an African-American civil rights jurist. And uh, with typical her typical kind of modesty, she felt that it gave her too much credit that unlike the black jurist, Marshall, she had never felt that her safety was under serious threat. But there is something to the comparison between their careers, particularly the extent to which they focused on using the law to open opportunities for marginalized people. They both took the 14th Amendment seriously, perhaps more seriously even than the people who wrote it. And Ginsburg and Marshall saw vast swaths of the American people who had been excluded, and they both were at the intersection. Uh, You know Jay is still waiting, and I'm going to go back to him. Hey, Dennis, you know, I'm just going to try to be as... Okay, okay, I get your point. You think that she didn't do anything for black people. You think that she didn't advocate for black people. Why don't you just come out and say it? I am going to say it. I'm just going to go a little further. If we look at her record, her, her record, let's look at her record. She had been on the bench since what, 1993. She's had over 100 clerks, from my understanding, and out of them was only one black and I think maybe two Hispanics. 
Now, what do that tell you? How could you classify someone like that as a friend of black people? But, you know, what we do is we fall behind this beautiful word that was created to keep us in a box. He was a liberal. You see, when the fact of the matter is, she okay, never Jay, did no, nothing wait, wait, to wait, black wait, people. Wait, 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 she wait, wait. She couldn't fall in the agenda of homosexuals. Um, just let, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this in one way, because I want to talk about something else. The other one way is that because she was such a change maker in regard to the basic fundamental of law having to do with equal access and equal rights created uh, an intersection. There's another way that we can look at Ginsburg. You got to understand. Let's look at it this way. Let's be. Let's look at it in honesty in regards to the life she of ser- black people. She served just, the. She, she served. Let me just say this, Janice. Janice, let me just say this one thing. Let's be fair about it, and let's just say. She was not for the civil rights of black people, but she was more about the agenda of the homosexuals, Jews, and containing I'm and promoting white supremacy. I'm not going to agree agree with about that. Well, that's how she made her bones. That's how she, I'm that's not how she made agree who she about was that. by dealing with homosexuals and their you agenda. Can, you know, you need, to go, you need to go study the legal... You need to go study the, the the legal history of the cases which she advocated for. And what you were those cases to, in regards to homosexuality no, and the rights of the gay agenda? Those cases were regard those re, those cases were regard to equal rights and equal access for all people, based on the contingency of gays being mistreated. Now, are you, are you homophobic? Let me ask you a question. Am I are you homophobic? homophobic? I want to uh, ask you a question. I'm anti. I'm anti. I'm anti-homophobic as an African. Yeah, I don't. I don't support. I don't support homosexuals. Okay, then that. Then, then, we, then we can hear. We can hear your comments from that point of view. But you have to understand that when you don't have to understand. You don't have to understand anything I'm saying. I, I, well, take, I, I take that because I don't like that. I don't often say that. But here is what I understand. I understand that case law that she advocated for created access and opportunity and, and rights for everyone. I don't care yeah, but, who she was I, I I see no pattern. I see none of that that you're talking about. See, All see, I get see it. Is, this is where this is where we disagree. Let me let me point out where we disagree at. This is all we really disagree at in regards to her. All the things that she did may have been good if your agenda is to be as one say a globalist, to be one 
that we just all get along in the vein of Rodney King. Me, myself, personally, I'm about African people. I don't care about white people. I don't care you about them to, because of what they've done to us as a people and what they continue to do to us as a people. The Republicans then you don't show understand you what I'm week, saying. Then you don't understand what I'm saying. No, I you don't understand saying, what you're saying. No, I'm talking she about outcome. No, let me I'm finish talking, the point. You're talking about intent, and I'm talking about outcome. What I'm trying to say to you is, I understand what you're saying. What she did was based on the simple fact of helping other communities who benefited. It's just like the civil rights movement. Everybody was talking about equal rights and all of that, but it didn't benefit African people on the whole. It only benefit a certain majority of us, not the whole. And that's where the issue becomes. You got to put these people in the context of who they but, are and what they are in regards to us. As okay, the bottom line. The bottom line is this: that you take the cases that come before the court. And one of the things that she was a master in is carving out part of what was before her to make the point of equal access and equal opportunity. There is no doubt, there is no doubt, and she wouldn't deny it, that she was a feminist uh, um, legal advocate. And the lover of the Jew first. coming from. And the lover of the Jew first above all. Let's be clear on that. But, Don't forget. Well, you know what? You want black people to love. Wait, wait, wait. You want black people to love black people above all, but you don't want and, Jews and to love not, Jews well, above all? I don't have a problem with that, but I'll admit to it. Nobody's coming out of I'm an African first. Black people don't do that. They already try to integrate. You know, you know what? You Janice, the point that I'm you trying to, to make study. is... Okay, I'm just trying to say this. When you put a person in the context, put them into context. If you say what is... That's your Jay, context. Jay's that's your biases. That no, that's is your biases. There was never honesty. a better that's advocate for voting rights for black people than... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You don't know what the so you're you're talking me about. She was, she was, she was all in all for voters' rights for black folks. You know, you are you are what blinded you by your own point? prejudice, and I, I, no, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, not talking about it anymore. All right, have a, okay. talk to you later. Okay. Have a good night. Good night. Oh, man, man, I tell you, I need to get paid for this. Uh, but anyway. You can have a blind side in looking at all this. So, so let us move on. The next piece of this is something that I am very much interested in, and that is that today and yesterday, even before the the, the woman could take her last breath, Republicans were coming out and talking and and talking smack about filling this 
seat before the election. The November 3rd election, you know the one, uh, um, 43 days that's coming up? 43 days. And they can do that. Mitch McConnell is committed to it, that they will bring forth next week, they will bring forth a nominee, and, and that nominee will have a confirmation hearing before the Senate. So that means that in our lifetime, Jay, Alpha, none of us, We'll see this court change. And so I've been thinking about for the last 24 hours. And <clears throat> many of you will remember my friend and our Common Ground Voice, Professor Vernelia Randall. She was a professor in the um, law school at Dayton, Univers- Dayton Ohio University. Ohio University of Dayton, and for many years. And one of the things that she mentioned today was that the Democrats could bring a lawsuit. I want to get this right. The Democrats could bring a lawsuit and the lawsuit would be against um, the Senate. Um, And what the lawsuit could do was request a request a um, an injunction to block the Republicans from making from making um, um, making um, a nomination, having blocked the Senate from. Uh, let me let me let me do this a, a, a lot more succinctly. She suggested that the Democrats file a lawsuit and in that lawsuit seek an injunction to prevent an appointment or a nomination before the the election. And I agree with her that the Democrats have not, has not, <coughs> has not used litigation in an, in an effective way. She also indicates that the judge would most likely grant the injunction because an appointment would be would would pose irreparable harm and the suit would be over forcing the Senate to follow the rules that it adopted in 2015 in regard to the nomination of uh, Garland by Barack Obama. So that the uh, the sum of it, and I would suggest that House members would have to influence 
it's uh, the DNC uh, to bring such a lawsuit. But there is also a way in which we can expand our political currency. See, that's why political currency is so important, that there should be a massive organizing campaign that would begin to force the DNC to consider. And you start with the people that you know that's going to take you to the dance. That would be the squad. I know, I know Ayanna Presley uh, very well. I've known Ayanna Presley since she was in college. And um, as she worked in government. So if we could get AOC, Ayanna Presley, Alain Omar, and that whole crowd to begin to consider that and then support them with our currency with a massive challenge to the DNC to bring such a lawsuit. I mean, because when 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 uh, Donald Trump doesn't win this election in November, which I believe to, with me it's it's um 70-30 at this point. 70 being Donald Trump will steal the election, 70% being Donald Trump will steal the election. The Republicans are going to bring every kind of lawsuit there is. Okay? So that's one way of doing it. The, the other thing that I thought about, and I talked with a group of people last night um, on a Zoom thing, um, where I had to put the hoodie over my head because I was just coming, I'm always just coming out of my yard, and I had hit myself with the with the with the hose. Um, is that we make sure in another kind of massive campaign that we try to get the house to begin the impeachment process for Bill Barr and for Mitch McConnell for abuse of office. Then there's a third strategy, and the third strategy is if they successfully nominate and confirm that we begin to change the rules, that the House immediately, November 5th, begin to change the rules. No lifetime appointment for anybody. Federal judges, Supreme Court judges, nobody. The other is that you cut the pay. You cut the lifetime benefits. And you set the new rule. The new rule being that no Supreme Court justice can be nominated three months before a presidential election. Then there is a fourth strategy, and you can call me on these strategies at 347-838-9852, and know we got only 15 minutes. The fourth strategy being that you add, the House begins now, 
to add two seats to the Supreme Court. Those are all things that we can use our political currency on. You know, and and it's real real interesting. You're all interested. Now, Jay has called. No House Music Lover has called. A House Music Lover, I, I saw him sign off a little bit ago. And 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 Alpha had called. Y'all think Alpha got a woman up in there? <laughs> <laughs> Is he entertaining? <laughs> so those are the four strategies. And I invite you. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. Now I know I have to work on Jay with with the lenses in which he sees things because homophobia. Um, I mean, I I guess I have to go back and have that show again because. Um, It's hard for me to speak glibly and uh, with any amount of information uh, in front of me about what that means. That's some harsh. That's some harsh shit. Um, and and you know, it, it really struck me in talking with Jay and. He doesn't think that a Jewish woman or any Jewish person, I mean, one of the things that is, and, and, and I talk to my Jewish friends about this all the time, is that Jewish children go to a special school to believe in what they believe in and to believe that everything is possible for them. And we want that for our children. And somehow we have we go bad on when other people do it. And I'll tell you there's a there's 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 a problem with that. And and maybe I put off doing the reparation thing uh until after the election, you remember September was going to be all programs all on reparations. But I think we I think we need to be looking at this seat, and I think we need to be looking at the currency. One of the reasons I played Adam Reverend Adam Clayton Powell talking about what's in your hand, not because I needed a a, a biblical sermon but because I think we need to think about that and the way in which he puts it. He's asking the question, what is in your hand? We're going to go to the phones. 281, you're on the air. Hey, Janice. Um, I declare here um, great hey, show. Hey, thanks for calling. Uh, absolutely great show and um uh, you're for uh, there's Thank a you. lot uh, you've laid a lot out on the table, but I know you're short on time. So the strategies that you just that you just listed, um, do 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 um, how do we exercise our our political currency with the with the representatives 
that we have i i uh because uh, 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 many uh, 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 some of the initiatives that you articulated could and should have been done it 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 it, it, uh, it just seems as though the democrats that are in there now have been so entrenched and you know multi decades yeah, yeah. and all of they, this they, for, for, to a point yeah, yeah. where they're like marinated in in right. i don't know if it's lobbying money i don't know you know like um yeah. uh, they're so fearful and bashful and and uh you know just like this Mitch McConnell i mean the poor lady isn't even uh, uh, I mean, my, I mean, you know, they're but, just but, raw but it power. Points out it, India. It, it points out India that the Democrats weren't ready for this, and the Republicans were. If you listen to the news reports a month ago, we knew we had to know. Absolutely. That she was not going to be in that seat on November 3rd. And the Democrats have no plan. They absolutely. And that, and on that, yesterday. Absolutely. I, 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 I recently saw Dr. Gupta on CNN, and he referenced that um, the particular cancer uh, that Justice uh, Bader Ginsburg was battling was no longer treatable. Okay, well, uh, that means that they've done basically all they can do, and at this point, it's it's um, uh, you know, it's you you live the moments that you have left, and and um, I don't I don't know I don't uh, uh, the Democrats just seem to be so. Um, I, I don't know, a timid, passive, that is inexcusable. That is unforgivable, inexcusable, and that's why I've always been for the new talent and and the uh, the Clyburns and the Bidens and all. The, 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 they have been in there since the 20th century, and and we need innovative. Thinking. We need 21st yeah. century aggressive, yeah. innovative political thinking, and to yeah. look at these 20th century dinosaurs for that, to me, is just asking for exactly what you're stipulating tonight. How yeah, can they be unprepared? You, that is political suicide. For those of you who do not know, this is India Declare of Real Raw right now, and she's on Blog Talk Radio at 10 o'clock. On Friday night, India. Let me let me just say this. It has been clear to us over the last three and a half years that the Democratic Party establishment, the Clyburns, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, the, right, the Tom right. Perez, the Barack Obamas, that they're like. You ever had a, a boyfriend? And you really didn't want to be with him, but on the nights that you were lonely, you would call him and say, let's go for a drink. That's what right, the Democratic like, Party is. Right. I mean, okay, these cats are, are like, it's, it's, these it's are not the a, most desirable cats. I mean, th- this is ridiculous. The, the, the Tom Perez at the DNC, Tom Perez, I mean, the whole, um, it's like the, the whole, it's like the, the, the reason why, 
Well, everything that you have stipulated tonight is so vital and so important, and yet these cats are so marinated in the process and in their lobbying and in their, you know, pharmaceutical payoffs or wherever they're getting their bag from. I mean, and you all and you always call a boyfriend that has enough money to go out to dinner and go for drinks and maybe go dancing or or go to a play. Uh, it's not the one that's always broke. You see, well, right, it's and I mean, like, and I'm gonna throw some they, real they, wrong they, right now on that and hand, say, you got one hand in and one hand out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's 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 like a boring bang, and like you know, the, 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 he thinks he's doing something, and you know, you're doing your nails. I mean, it's like these these people have to go as long as these people are in there. Huh, uh. <laughs> we went through eight years of Barack Obama. As long as these people are in there, there ain't no. nothing gonna happen. As a matter of fact, we're, we're we are regressing. We they're not progressives; they're regressives. The the the, the 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 pain of 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 getting these cats up out of here has to, um, okay. um, and until we deal with that, uh, we're gonna stay here. Love your show. And, okay. Uh, Representative Bush is a star. Yeah, she is. She is. Yeah. Yes. That's and, and, what, and, you know what? I mean, it's unforgivable that she was not that she did not have a primary spot uh, at that at that convention. Unforgivable. That tells you where they are right there when they did not have Bush at that convention. Boom. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that says everything. Because she's yeah, the future, yeah, and, not Tom Perez yeah, and, and not Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, I'm 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 mighty afraid that they're gonna play. This this is what you play. You get you get talent like Bush, AOC, Ayanna Presley, and um, you know Rashida, and what they do is they. Play, they they throw the bureaucracy at them, thinking that they're not going to be smart enough to get through the bureaucracy. Correct. And the whole point is that you need to dismantle the bureaucracy and rebuild how the house, how the whole Congress operates. Absolutely. Because this is a Congress that. With our currency, and one of the things that I didn't list on the on the priorities earlier was the whole notion of reforming the ju- judicial branch of this country. Right, and connect those both dots those, to how to how important the judiciary and, is, exactly. you know, in our everyday lives. And if Mr. Biden mentioned Scranton one more time, Scranton did not save his political ass. Black folks did, and it better wake up. See, these people need to wake up. Uh, 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 I know you're short on time. Uh, thank you, Janice. Great show. Uh, thank you for the platform. Well, we're going we're gonna to stay on it, and we hope that Please. people will subscribe to our webpage at ourcommonground.com, and, and, and we're going back to our forum because I am trying to migrate off of Facebook to ourcommonground-talk.ning.com. And if you are on our mailing list, 
and you get our weekly announcement about this broadcast, and you would like to be invited, because it's by invitation only, to a forum where you can do anything you can do on Facebook, you can do at Our Common Ground at Ning. You can set up your own forums, you can set up your own blog, you can set up you set up your own page, you do whatever you do on Facebook. And follow us on um at Janice O C G. I do want to say before we go to Jay, I know that I was intolerant and impatient, but I think that if you go through some of our discussion that you can't ask, you can't ask of, we should not have asked of Ruth Bader Ginsburg to be the only advocate of civil rights, voting rights, human rights on a court of seven people. It's as basic as that. Um, So... And I want to thank India uh, Declare, Real Raw Right Now, on Friday nights at 10 p.m. Because she understands the urgency of this matter. I want to make sure that all of you go out and vote on November 3rd, all the way down ballot. We've got to take the Senate, we've got to hold the House, and we've got to hold whoever goes into the White House accountable for our the worth and value of black political currency and learn to spend it judiciously, thoughtfully, intentionally, and learn to spend it through a system of accountability, through a thought process, of who you're going to hold accountable. Thank you all for being with us tonight, and we hope you'll have a good week. Um, I just want to say, let people know that we are here, and maybe we can have three hours instead of of two hours um, to, um, to do all of these things that we need to do on air here at Our Common Ground where I cannot find my clothes. Thanks a lot for being with us. Tell your friends about us that we are here um, at Our Common Ground. um, uh, And help us rebuild. That's what we need to do. We need to rebuild. No, 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 not God bless America, God damn America, that's in the Bible. Prior to Abraham Lincoln, the government in this country said it was legal to hold Africans in slavery in perpetuity. Perpetuity is one of the University of Chicago words, that means forever. From now on, when Lincoln got in office, the government changed. Prior to the passing of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, the government defined Africans as slaves as property. Property, people with no rights, 
to be respected by any whites anywhere. The Supreme Court of the government, same court, granddaddy court of the one that stole the 2000 election, Supreme Court said in its dread Scott. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this breaking news report. A slave ship has just risen out of the Hudson River in front of the Statue of Liberty. Yes, we are our father's sons and daughters, but we are not their choices. But despite their absences, we are still here, still alive, still breathing, with the power to change this world, one little boy and girl at a time. Not, not, who's there? We are! Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Grant. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you. And don't forget, we are here at Our Common Ground each Wednesday night. Open mic Wednesday night. Same time, 10 p.m. Listener driven. I'm only the host. Serious examination of black truth on Our Common Ground. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. And now it's a winter Winter in America 